and welcome to episode 30, the final episode of this series, or season if you live in America, um, of the Right for Your Life podcast. I said that already, haven't I, Right for Your Life podcast? No, you haven't. Did I not? You just said hello. I got a bit confused halfway through my sentence, but anyway, welcome. Welcome one and all. And you are? I'm Mike Hurley, Ian Broom. Well, so this is it, last one. It's emotional. It is a bit emotional. I'm going to... going to be a father by the time we do this again, which is quite exciting, but it's also, um, uh, it's also uh, slightly terrifying, but that's all right. That's no problem. I'm fine with that. Um, and I will also have had a paperback version of my novel published. That happens on Saturday the 1st. Slightly strange day, but that's okay. And, um, and then the launch is next week on the 6th. Just get, I'm just getting the plug out, out of the way right at the start of the podcast, if that's all right. That's absolutely fine by me. So if you live in Sheffield or near Sheffield and you want to come to my book launch, it's at the Lantern Theatre on the 6th of September. That's yeah. it. No more. I won't mention that again. The information that they need will be in the show notes for the episode. Fantastic. So for this final episode, I wanted to do something maybe slightly different. I think it's been um, um, kind of a learning process doing this podcast. We've done lots of different types of podcasts. We've had ones where I've been really prepared and I've done it almost like a sermon. If you remember the plain English episode right at the start, I think that was episode two. I kind of just, I was, I was almost like a, like a, a lesson or a lecture. Still sorry about that. Um, and then what else have we done? We kind of interviewed other people. We've had stuff where I've not really been prepared and I've just made it up as I've gone along. And, um, and it's all been different. So this is different again for the final one. Earlier today, I asked on Twitter if anyone had any questions either about the novel, A's for Angelica, because a few people will have read it now, hopefully, or, um, or about writing in general. And I actually got most of the questions were about that or publishing in general. So I thought I would just go through them and answer them because I think they're all quite interesting subjects. They're all the kinds of things that we need to think about as writers in this modern world that we live in. Um, very difficult to live in any other kind of world, really. Yep. Um, and, um, and, and you chip in, Mike, whenever you see any sort of available opportunity. I will jump in. I think there's a few things that you might have to say about these things. Especially about our sponsor when we get to that. Yeah, well, I'm your forte. I'll have something to say then, Broom. Indeed. So I start off with a question that I, I think... This is from Gary Smales, who uh, was on the podcast a while ago. He runs the Bubble Cow website and blog for writers. It's very good. And I think he asked me this just because he knew that I would hate answering it. So this is, uh, he says, uh, uh, where am I? It says, uh, traditional or self-publishing, what's best for new writers? And um, my answer to that, and I haven't thought about any of these answers in any particular detail. I'm going to try and think of them as a, I'm going to try and say my answers as they kind of come to me. With this, I think, I think the good thing is that we, there is now a choice, I think. That's the thing we need to focus on. I get really fed up and really tired of the kind of the battle or the supposed battle between traditional and self-publishing. Historically, of course, traditional publishing um, frowned upon and um, and and looked down upon uh, self-publishers, and to a great extent that is true in many circles, but nowhere near the way in the way that it it used to be. There's been a huge change. Self-publishing has become a much more legitimate way of um, of uh, of getting of getting read, of getting your book out there, 
gathering a readership and um, and, um, and and earning money as well. And that's fine. That's uh, that's totally fine. Self publishing is is not uh, is a legitimate way of of being a writer and uh, uh, these days. Um, and and the real thing is the question here is um, what's best for new writers. And I think I think it's it's nice that you have a choice. I think it depends what you want really. All I can really say is, and, and I have said this before, but all I can really say is why I want to be uh, want my novel to be published by a traditional publisher, and that's because um, I I have it's kind of the background I come from. I did the MA and the English degree and. And um, it's it's kind of I've always wanted my book to appear on a bookshelf in a bookshop. Um, I've wanted to be on, for example, I want to be on national radio. You know, let's let's have our high ambitions. I want to be I want to be interviewed by Mark Lawson on uh, Radio Four on Front Row or something like that. And at the moment, uh, it's highly unlikely that that would happen if I self-published. It's relatively unlikely that it will happen as it as uh, being traditionally published. But the opportunity is there. I might. I might, Mike, I might win the Booker Prize. Imagine that. If I was self-published, I wouldn't be able to do that at the moment. And, and I want to be able to do that. I want to be in a position to do that. So all the kind of, all those things that are being broken down, the idea of prestige and, and all that kind of thing, that still means something to me. And it's something that uh, means enough that I wouldn't consider self-publishing my fiction, my novels, of which there is only one at the moment. However, that's not to say, we talked about this with Joanna Pan a couple of episodes ago, that's not to say that I wouldn't be interested in a more hybrid model where I continue to traditionally publish my, um, my, my novels, my fiction, but if I wanted to publish maybe, I don't know, a, a short collection of stories or, or, or if I wanted to write an e-book about writing, then it would make perhaps more sense to me to publish those through my website and do it myself. So I don't think it necessarily has to be one or the other, but I, generally speaking, it depends on what you want and what you want to get out of it and how quickly, really, you want to get your book out there because traditional publishing isn't fast. If you just want to write and get your book out there, then absolutely self-publishing. You can do that very easily these days. Whew. I've finished. I've answered that question. I Does that sound all right, Mike? Got any, any sort of thoughts on that yourself? You've, you heard me talk about this kind of thing for a while. Mm-hmm. No, I think... Um for you, like self-publishing makes sense because you have dreams and aspirations of things that you would like to be able to achieve that you can't, or you know, or at least things that you think would be. Wouldn't it be lovely if if I could win a prize, you know, like a literary yeah. prize, which you may not get the opportunity to um, if you were to to go down the self-publishing route, and you wouldn't be able. It'd be very, very difficult to get your book in front of proper reviewers. You know, when I say proper, I mean like you know, uh, literary publications like esteemed literary publications like the Guardian. It'd be very difficult for you to get um, your book in front of a Guardian book reviewer, um, where it maybe wouldn't be so difficult um, if you go down the published route, because I'm sure that your publisher um, would have contacts or know someone who knows someone where. On your own, Ian Broom, you probably don't know anyone that could get get your book in front of the Guardian book reviewer. No, <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. I do have some contacts, Mike, but I know what you're saying. Well, maybe not. Let's use the figurative you then in that, because I mean, you you might because because of the blog, right? You might be able to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, but I wouldn't, except for yes. knowing you, of course. 
<laughs> I don't care. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying, and there is a difference also there. You mentioned um, literary um, publications. I think it is important to stipulate as well that for for literary authors, it's it's less common to self-publish. So a lot of the people that are doing really well with um, self-publishing, um, it tends to be uh, thrillers or romance novels, um, crime novels, that kind of thing, and um, and sort of my kind of um, um, I don't know. Say quirky, but that sounds that's a terrible way to describe your own writing. But that kind of offbeat literary fiction is is not exactly a big seller in the self-publishing world yet. That's not to say it won't be in the future, of course. I think non-fiction does really well self-published yeah. as well. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. Even better than fiction. And, yeah. The, the other thing is money as well. So I, I could arguably, I mean, I will never know, but there's a chance I might have made more money if I self-published. Um, uh, Ace for Angelica. If I just went completely the self-publishing route, I may end up making more money. But as we've discussed before on the podcast, that has never been really the main thing for me. Like it's not. I mean, I'll talk about this probably a touch more with one of these other questions I can see coming up. But that isn't really. That hasn't really. I mean, it's nice. It would be great, but it's not the main thing for me. It's those other things that I've said that are more important to me at this point in my career, certainly. So I think that's answered the question. I hope it, I hope that's not a kind of doesn't sound like a a wheedling out a bit type answer, but um who knows. Here's another one. This is from Bush Birdie. And she says, um how do you know when a good a good story idea is a good idea and the, and you should focus on it and keep plugging away at it? Um and then she goes on to say or rather that should be how did you know it was a good idea, etc. Um, it's interesting because I've been looking back at a few, I've been, as we've been sort of tidying the house, I've also been, don't know why, but tidying uh, my desktop a little as well on my uh, computer and, and sort of going through a few old files. And I found quite a lot of old stories that I'd written and, um, and a couple of interesting things. First of all, I thought that most of them were rubbish. And although I didn't get read every single paragraph of every single story that I'd written before, I read enough to make me think, goodness me, what was I doing before I started writing this novel? And, um, and, and I think that's, that's interesting, partly because um, it must mean that at some point when I was writing my novel that something clicked and I realised that actually this is, this is worth pursuing further. And I don't remember there being any kind of light bulb moment where I thought that this was something I needed to stick with. But there must have been, I suppose. Um, but the other thing is that I actually found something really, really interesting that I'd completely forgotten about. So I think I've said before on the podcast that, the, to me, the novel, I always remember having one sentence, one line, which was, Benny paints pictures with his eyes closed, which is the first line of the second chapter. And that line was kind of, I just thought it was, I loved that line, and I just thought, that's just something in that. Benny paints pictures with his eyes closed. God, that could go anywhere, that story. It's just, you know, such an unusual phrase. I like the rhythm of the sentence. And I, I've always looked back and, and sort of rose-tinted, I guess, uh, in a rose-tinted kind of way, and thought, well, the whole novel sprung from this one line that I came up with. But actually, I found, when I was looking through this stuff, about four or five paragraphs. And the reason I, I double-clicked on uh, and opened this file was because it was the title of the file was the novel, which was subtle. And, um, <laughs> and this must have been way before I thought it was going to be a novel. Really? But, <laughs> well, <laughs> I think the, your naming structure would imply otherwise. 
That's a very good point. But I think I was probably kidding myself. I don't think for a second that I really thought that I was going to write a novel. Um, and and I opened it up, and there it was, Benny Payne's pictures with his eyes with his eyes closed. And that was the first first line. So I was right. I had remembered correctly. There was this one line. But then there's just four or five paragraphs where it was written in what is kind of vaguely the same sort of um, style or the same with the same kind of narrative kind of, um, uh, I don't know, narrative uh, edge or I don't know, style is probably the right word, um, as as the book, as A is for Angelica. And the description of, of Benny, Benny paints a picture with his eyes closed and then the rest of it is nothing that actually ended up in the novel. But gosh, I could see it. I could see the genesis of the novel. And um, and and I, so to answer the question, how do you know when something's a good idea? I don't I don't know if you really do until you kind of um, you've written so much. In this case, it must have been five or six paragraphs, and um, and then you and then at some point you just think, well, this is it. I need to carry on. There must be something there that's kind of uh, n- not easy to describe, which is why I'm struggling to describe it. But there is a difference. There is a marked marked difference between the stories that I'd written before, which were okay to rubbish so you know, somewhere between um and then the novel which was clearly much much better and and reading those few paragraphs from the file entitled the novel um that was much better as well it's strange i mean okay i, I like to ask you change the question around for you podcast wise don't i so do you tell me how did you how did you know that um at what point did you realize that a podcast network was a good idea before I say that, I have to say, because, well, I've kind of ruined the timing of this joke now, but I bet if you <laughs> kept looking hard enough, you would find, like, four, five, six different um, novel ideas that start off with a line, Benny paints pictures of his eyes closed. <laughs> like, you you just wouldn't allow it to drop. Once your brain had decided it was a good idea, you just kept chucking it in everywhere. Well, I guess well, that, there's an element of truth in that as well. That's not just a joke, Mike. That's a good point. Because, like I say, the rest of that that section... None of it made it into the novel. And I think there's a chance that I did, because I think there's, there's a date discrepancy. So I think there's a chance that I wrote that piece entitled The Novel. And I think that the only thing that remained that stayed with me was the line, which is why I've gone on to think that it all came from one line. But actually, it, I, in reality, it came from those four of that session, whenever I, that writing session where I wrote those four or five paragraphs. It might have been that one line that stayed with me. And I probably did do what you've just described. Um, but it was yeah, it was that one one kind of line, that one idea that sort of went on to become the novel itself. If I can change your question to me a little bit, yeah, it would be sort of how when I have ideas for podcasts, which I have almost on a daily basis, um, how do I know what ones are right to pursue? Because you know, we've started quite a, quite a few podcasts by now on the network, and um, I've had ideas that I've got to a stage where they were ready to go and haven't pursued them. Um, and I have a couple of, of ways to, to work out what's best to go with. Um, depends on how excited I am. If I have this idea and then don't stop until it's the stage where all I need to do is record the first episode, um, then I know it's one worth pursuing. You know, um, if I'm willing to give up even more of my own time um, to put into this new project or if it's something that I have the idea one day and then a couple of weeks later the first episode is there like um, Bionic which is our show which mainly focuses on Android um, but 
is is really about sort of competing ecosystems, the ones that we're used to. So like talking about app.net instead of Twitter for people that are inclined to know about such things. Um, so talking about technologies that are outside of the, the what's considered to be the, the, the cool hip thing or the most popular thing. Um, I had that idea and then about three, four weeks later, the next, the first episode was published. Now, if you compare that to not saying that this was a, a bad idea, but just the sort of the average time it takes to get something like this started. I mean, um, one show that I do on the network called Cooking with Brett and Mike, which is not about cooking, if you are a cooking fan. We um, first spoke about spoke about doing a show together a year before we started recording the first episode. Me and you were talking for months before we decided to do Right for Your Life together. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking about just trying, we, but because we, we hadn't worked out what the right thing was. Um, you know, we, we knew we wanted to do a show before having the idea. But the other way that I'll tell, other than just my excitement, is when I tell other people and gauge their level of interest. If people tell me, if if I get enough people say to me, no, you probably shouldn't do that, then no matter how excited I am, I may then put it. Put I think you've just answered the question really well there, actually. I think they are the two things. If it's something that, if it's a story that you're really excited about and you can't leave it alone and you feel like, you know, there's that intrinsic, that something inside you just wants to keep working on it and, and kind of knows that it's right. And then the second thing is, of course, you're right, is when you show it to someone else or, and they say, this is great, you should pursue this. And that is exactly what happened with the novel. Thinking, of, thinking about it again, I knew that it was right. I had that line, all, that, all the stuff I've just said. But then it was only when I showed it to my, my tutor, actually, Simon Crump, who's a wonderful author who's gone on to provide the cover quote for me. Bless him. Much appreciated. Much, much appreciated, in fact. Um, he said to me, this is, you know, this is great. You need to, you need to do this. And, and so I think those are the two things. It's kind of, I guess, something internally at first and then kind of validation from someone else is the second part. we better rattle on, haven't we? Yeah, should I talk about Squarespace before we go on to your next item on your list? I think it's a very good idea. So this episode is brought to you as always by those lovely people over at Squarespace. Um, Squarespace have recently announced version 6 of their product, their blogging engine, their website creation. Basically, Squarespace is the best place online to provide you with all the tools that you need to make an amazing website, blog or portfolio. Squarespace has social media connectivity built right in. Um, you can import your content from your current blog using their blog importer as well. Um, so you can import straight in. You can choose one of their fantastic, beautiful templates. Um, the templates for Squarespace are out of this world. They are really are beautiful, very clean, and they let your content do all of the talking. They stay out of the way. Everything's nice and nice and lovely to look at. They have responsive web design for viewing your site on mobile devices. So when you add images or design pages with the new Squarespace, your entire site will restructure automatically to fit on any device and maintain the beauty of the design that you have um, chosen and then adapted. Um, and you adapt their, all of um, Squarespace's themes in their um, all in in the browser in what they call a WYSIWYG design editor. So you can eat, you don't have to worry about knowing the code for how to change the uh, colors of your um, links. You can just select a link and just change the color 
all in the editor. It's it's a very very simple system, and it's much more simple than I could um, try and explain to you. And the best way for you to try out yourself to really get an idea as to how powerful and easy to use Squarespace is is to sign up for the two week free trial that they've got for you. And if you go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels at 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S, you can sign up for a two-week free trial, no credit card needed. You just give them a username and a password and it will set you up with a new account where you have full access to the site for 14 days and you can do whatever you want. Try around, play around as much as you like. Um, you can see how their stats work. Um, you can even contact their support and get an idea. You know, if you're getting a bit stuck and you want to see how great their award-winning support is, well, you can contact them as well. It's a totally unrestricted free trial. After that, if you decide to sign up for one of their plans, if you use the offer code 70 decibels 8 at checkout, you'll get 10% off your first purchase. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. I've been a loyal customer for years. And I would not turn back. I love Squarespace. They love us. And I want to thank them for their support of this program. Indeed, absolutely. Very kind of them. Hugely recommended. Very pleased to recommend them every week. Um, Next question. Yes. This is from Gary Smales again. He says, what about paid Amazon reviews, good or bad? So this is on the back of, I don't know if you've uh, been keeping up to date with the latest show, sh- sh- shenanigans in the publishing industry, Mike, but um, I'm assuming that's a no. <laughs> I, I, it's the only week I've not kept up with my publishing industry shenanigans. Every week well, I've kept up with it. Well, there's been a minor kerfuffle because um, it, there's been a lot of talk about paid Amazon reviews. So there is, there's a sur- I d- and I don't know the very specifics of this, but I, I do know them, I've read about them, but I don't have them to hand, unfortunately. Basically, guys set up a service for Amazon reviews. You could pay him, I think it's $50, to review your book on Amazon. Um, and then it kind of, he realized this was going well. So it escalated where you could actually buy up to, I, I'm, I'm making the numbers up, I think, um, but they're not far away. I think it's like 50 reviews for several hundred dollars. Maybe it was more for a million dollars. I don't know. If you but don't mind me interjecting before you give your professional opinion. The, Not at all. The question from Gary, Gary, wasn't it? Yes. Was good or bad? I can't see how it could be a good thing. Well, one of the guys who's been in trouble for doing this, or not been in trouble, but has been has been confirmed as having done this, is a guy called John Locke, who I've talked about on the blog before, slightly controversial blog post that I wrote, and um, he has sold over a million copies of his books. And he is, uh, uh, I don't know, he's a squillionaire. Is this the novel in six weeks guy? Seven weeks, come on. Seven weeks. Oh, yeah, let's not be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's him. It's, this is the guy. And, um, and he's, one of, he's not just him, but a lot of the focus has been on him because he's basically he's made so much money. And it turns out that at some point in the process, he was paying people to review his book for him on Amazon. So you, so, so you say it can't be good... He might argue it was pretty good for him. I don't mean good in a it-will-get-you-sales way. I mean ethical. Yeah. I just can't see how it could be a good thing to do. Like, you might be... I mean, yes, of course, in theory, it's excellent if you pay people to give you five-star reviews. It's not going to hurt you until your name gets dragged through the mud. But it's not a good thing to do. I think it's a terrible idea. It's, you know... 
why don't you just concentrate on writing some really good stuff and just keep working and then... Just doesn't quite feel right, does it? No, it just... I just feel if you maybe put as much time and effort into actually writing a good book, um, then maybe you wouldn't have to worry about paying people. I don't know, it just... I don't like stuff like that. No, I, I agree with you. It feels It feels a million miles away from my idea of what it is to be an author, published traditionally or self-published. It just feels all kinds of wrong. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that everyone, I don't think there's a single author going, that, especially new author, that won't have um, asked someone they know if, to leave a review. And, I, and if someone has said to me, oh, I, I really like... I really liked your book, even if it's someone that I know. I've said, oh, that'd be great if you could say as much on, on Amazon or, or on their blog or something like that. I think there's nothing wrong with sort of saying to people, you know, it really helps if you, um, it really helps with like getting the word out about the book if you talk about it in a place where people will see you talking about it. I think that's perfectly fine. And everyone, you know, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do that. It kind of just makes sense. But actually actively paying someone who you've got, you know, just a stranger effectively to leave a review. In fact, there's a, I guess the detail that I'm missing here that I'm not quite sure about is whether he was pe- they were, whether the payment was to leave a positive review or not. I was um, going to say that until you said you can pay for multiple ones. Because at first, yeah. if you're paying somebody just to review, to read the book and review the book, I mean, you know, fine. All you're doing is asking for somebody's opinion as long as they say, and it's all known up front, I might not like it, but I'll review it for you. But if you're paying for 50, well, they're not going to write 50 bad reviews for you, are they? You, you would think. I'm, I'm, so I assume that is how it works. Um, I was just going to see if I could actually find out while we're on air. I'm not sure I have the mental ability to... Pay. Oh, hey, no, hang on. Yeah, okay, so here I've found this. So I don't know how reliable this source is, but over the weekend, the New York Times reports that mega-successful self-published author John Locke bought 300 reviews from a review mill by Todd Rutherford, who churned out five-star reviews for money, $999 for 50 reviews. It kind of makes me feel sick a, bit, a little bit. I just think that that's, that stuff is, is just it's abhorrent, like... I I just think it's that's just terrible, really. I do. I just you're tricking people. It's a bit grim. I mean, the thing that this is uh, without getting back into the traditional self-published thing again, because the the truth is that any author could could do this. This is not. It just so happens that um, the it happens actually that the traditional publishing media have latched onto this as um some of them not all of them but some some sort some places have latched onto it and kind of used it as a stick to beat self-published authors with but the truth is anyone could have done this and i'm sure there were loads of traditionally published authors that, that did do it and have done it so i don't think it's fair to say that to, to associate it directly with self-publishing although it so happens that a lot of people who have done it um sort of naturally are self-publishers but that's kind of a different issue um it, it it does feel it does feel a bit wrong to me so my answer to gary is is kind of no um no gary no gary <laughs> don't do it um he definitely wouldn't do it i don't think Gary's but it is a nice um, guy <laughs> but yeah so it's um it, but it does feel kind of wrong that something like that is obviously works 
that's the, I mean, that's the ultimate question here is that it works for him. And what, and here, and here's the, I guess the crux of it is what's important to him, what's important to John Locke. Now I bought and read, because I was interested, the first few chapters of one of his novels. And I'm not convinced that he's interested in anything apart from his, his writing as such being a business that makes him a fortune. I'm not convinced that he's doing it for the love of the craft of writing. But um, that's another issue. So, you know, it worked, it worked for him and I guess it depends where you're, um, I, I use this word cautiously, but it depends where your moral line kind of lies, I suppose. So, yes, a couple more questions. This one again is from Gary. I do have other people that follow the pl- uh, podcast and the website. <laughs> Gary's a chatty man. He's a lovely bloke. He was great when he came on the podcast. People should listen to his episode. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, or should writers expect to make money? <clears throat> We're back on the money subject again. One of my favourites. I will, I will say, and I think it's this kind of sums up my entire my entire approach, my entire ethos when it comes to writing. I said this before. I'd like to make it my catchphrase and have a T-shirt with it on, but I think I think I'm probably getting a bit too egotistical when I say that. But I love the idea that as as a new writer, you should reach for the stars but expect nothing. So, and that very much includes money. In fact, it probably especially includes money. So, as I said to you earlier on, I'd love to um, appear on Front Row with Mark Lawson on Radio 4. I'd love to appear on Parkinson if it was still on television. I'd love to win the Booker Prize. And those are all things that I've really... (laughs) It's highly unlikely that would happen. Massively unlikely. But the fact that it could happen, I've always believed that you should aim for it. You should actually aim for those things. So if you want to write a novel, if you sort of scale it back a bit, so and I've done this in chunks, so originally, before I started thinking like that, you know, my ambition might have been to finish the novel, to actually just finish the novel. Maybe it's to get an agent, maybe then it's to get a publisher. There's always something that you want to achieve. And if you don't aim for those things, then you'll never actually get them because you'll get to a point where you go, well, if I don't think that I can do that, or you'll say, I don't think that I can achieve that so what's the point in doing it? That's why people stop doing things. It's because they think that they can't do them and they can't, they can't achieve, uh, achieve them. There's a difference between, I think there's a difference between that kind of mentality where you just think you can't do something and so you stop doing it and someone who's kind of not massively confident because you can, I, I, there's periods of time. In fact, I would argue that I'm going, believe it or not, I think I'm going through a period in my writing career now where I'm really struggling for confidence in terms of actual writing because I'm going through that thing where I think, can I do it again? Um, and, but, but, but I still, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a go. And there's a difference between that kind of attitude where you're perhaps short on confidence for some reason, but you're still aiming for something because you believe you can do it and you know that you don't feel great about it at the moment, but maybe it will happen. So you reach for the stars. And you don't give up. Um, but at the same time, you, you shouldn't expect anything because it's a, it's, it's a really tough industry. It's tough to finish a book. It's tough to finish a short story even. Writing is really hard. It's tough to write a blog post every week. Um, it's tough to fit writing in your life at all um, if you're a busy person with a full-time job. So you shouldn't expect anything, but you should try and really go for it in pretty much as much as you possibly can around whatever it is that you do in your life. If you really want to write a book, if you want to, and let's get back onto the question, if you want to earn money from writing, 
then you should go for it, but just don't expect it to happen. Because if you expect it to happen, what tends to ha- what tends to really happen with writers is that you start suffering from uh, bouts of hubris, and you start to get a bit ahead of yourself, and you think that something's brilliant, so you um, or you think that you're brilliant, and and so you either you lose that focus, you lose sight of the stars, I guess, and um, and you end up doing something different or slacking off or I don't know what. And you'll be disappointed for a long period of time. Yes. I just, the, the idea that someone would go into writing or anything that they really love solely for money, I just can't see how it works. It may, maybe it worked for John Locke, I think is what I was implying not too long ago. But it has to be a minority. You have to, you have to go into something because you really want to do it, surely. It's, um, well, you make sacrifices like he did. You know, and when I say that, I mean he sacrificed his integrity, in my opinion. Ooh, Michael, nice. And and it's you know I just figure that you if you want if you feel like you're going to go into things doing that, then you probably shouldn't do them in the first place, to be honest. Indeed. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a ramble from me, but I, it's kind of the, the the crux of of my own approach to writing. Really, is that I I, I believe I can do anything. But I try and do that without any arrogance or without assuming it's going to happen. I believe I can. I can. I, be, I genuinely believe that one day I might write a book good enough to win the Booker Prize. I'm happy to say that. I think that if I didn't think that, then I shouldn't bother doing it in the first place. I believe so, I can fly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am. The, I am the literary R. Kelly. <laughs> that you are. I often thought that. It's interesting <laughs> you'd say such a thing. Okay, one more question and then we're done. Um, oh, no, there's actually two more questions. Goodness, I'll do the last one really quickly okay. and I'll cut this one down. This one is, can you narrow five characteristics a writer must embody to write a successful novel? That sounds like a podcast in itself. So yeah. I'm just going to go for one characteristic that a writer must embody to write a successful novel. And I found that the one characteristic that's, that forced me into it, that got me to the end, was that I really, really cared about it. And that kind of ties in basically, I think, with what I was just saying. So I won't go into too much detail. But, um, of course, hard work and determination and, and talent, and uh, although that's not really a characteristic, <laughs> but you know what I mean. There are lots of things that go into it, but you have to really care about it. In order to write a 300-page piece of anything, uh, but a novel especially, in order to do that, that's going to take you <laughs> between seven weeks and a couple of years. <laughs> It's going to take you a long time to write a decent one and, um, and to, you know, to go through the editing process and all that kind of thing. It's going to take a long time and a lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifice. So the one characteristic that you really need is that kind of, you need to care about it. It needs to mean a lot to you. And if it doesn't, then you probably won't finish it and you'll know about it fairly quickly, I think. If I could chuck a couple of things in against, yeah, of course. I'll, I'll talk about like con- content creation in all of its forms, uh, show up every day is a, a really important thing that I believe in. You've got, you've got to just try every day to, to add to it, um, even if it means you're writing something you're only going to throw away the next day. It's like a practice makes perfect type of thing. Um, be kind to people that aren't investing any time in you and um, be humble and be nice to, to others that are helping you out along the way. Yep, humility is really important. I would say that's uh, that would be on my list as well. It's um, something that a lot of writers struggle with. I've, I've been in met lots of writers who have been kind of good writers, but I think will never write anything truly sort of 
publishable or you know brilliant um because they think it is too early that makes sense you really need to have some humility and you're right be kind to people and just you know just be just not get carried away (laughs) don't get carried away with the myth about writers being this sort of on a plane above everyone else it's nonsense okay last question um and this one is specifically about as for angelica so what a wonderful way to finish eh yes (laughs) so it says uh this is from kim herself sorry that last question was by uh from robert s boone b-o-o-n-e this question is from kim herself and that is her in, that's the Twitter handle. That's not me just saying, it's by, you know, that's not Kim herself. That's Kim herself. I didn't need to explain that. No, you didn't. She says, describing characters, how would you do that if Gordon hadn't kept his files? So for those of you that have read the novel, that will make sense. For those of you, of you that haven't, which is probably the majority, I should explain that Gordon has um, is my my narrator of my novel. It's a first-person book, so he's the main guy. He tells the story, and his uh, key element of the story is that he stands at his behead. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. He stands at, at the bedroom window behind <laughs> curtains, watching people on the street and making notes on them. And he has lots of files. And the question is, how would you? How would I describe the other characters? I think this means so the other characters on the street that Gordon describes. If I didn't, if Gordon didn't keep files, so I think the, the kind of answer is kind of in the question. There, it's that um, I guess I could have found another way of doing it. So I could have. It's a first-person narrator, so I could have described the characters by saying, "Hmm, and there's Steve with a mustache. There's no one called Steve in the novel." Here's, there's Steve with, uh, with his moustache and his Stetson that he wears in the middle of Derbyshire in England. Um, so I could have done that just kind of in the normal way, I guess, is the answer. I could have just found a way to describe them. Um, you know, I've just bumped into someone and this is what they look like. This is what they do. Um, and I guess I, I do do that in the novel, but but the files is kind of a device, I guess. Um, I didn't really think about it that much when I was doing it. I tried to let the narrative flow quite naturally but um i guess the fact that gordon kept those files it gave me another way of describing them without him him having having to actually be stood in front of them in the way that i've just described so here's steve with his mustache and his stetson i could refer to gordon having met him at some point in the past and now he's got a file on him and he's added in all these details about him about his you know what he looks like but also kind of how steve might behave and i don't know Maybe he keeps a cigarette behind his 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 Stetson. I've got to say here that my novel is about a, a small open cast mining town in the middle of Derbyshire. There is no one with Stetsons or moustaches, so you know the the situation I'm describing here is quite different to the novel itself. But um, hopefully, that kind of answers the question: is that you do come up with a, a device of some sort to uh, describe things, or or you know the files the files frame the novel as, as uh, the entire novel. So Gordon keeps all these files, eight from A to Z, and I organise the chapters in the novel. Every chapter is titled, and the one at the start begins with an A, and the one at the end begins with a Z. So you know, it gave the files it gave Gordon his structure, but they also gave me the structure to write the novel as well. I've got a sticky mouth. Excellent. Which probably means it's time to stop talking. <laughs> yeah, I think after you say that, I don't think there's much more that can be said. No. Well, Broome, it has been an absolute pleasure recording these 30, well, I think I've recorded like 26 or 27 of them, but um, it's been a pleasure having you as part of the 70 Decibels Network. 
and it will continue to be when you return. Um, congratulations to you and your lovely lady wife on the imminent birth of your twins. Thank you. It's very exciting. And uh, I hope that you keep us all updated with the goings-on in your life and people can probably find those updates on your site at ianbroom.com or on Twitter at ianbroom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-M-E. Put two R's in if you like, two O's and two M's. It'll all go to the same place. That's not true. It won't, you have to get it, won't it right. go to that place at all. Yeah, so uh, I, I look forward to you coming back. We, we, at the moment, we don't know how long that's going to be. No, um, because... mainly because I have got no idea what it's like to be the father to identical twins. Exactly. But... <laughs> and I don't want to say I'll be back in a fortnight because I suspect that that's not going to be the case. No, I very much expect that we will be back um, sooner than you know it, but... Um... We don't know if whether that's going to be two weeks, two months, or two years. Nobody knows. No, but thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate your very kind words. I've loved doing it. It's not. It's been very disorganised at times. That's entirely my fault because of everything that's been going on with the book being published, the twins, all that kind of thing. It's been kind of crazy, but it's been. Um, it has been. An awful lot of fun. And I quite like the idea of doing 30 shows, a nice round number, and then sort of having a break and coming back. Yeah. People, people have seasons, but then they don't. They just carry on forever. But this is a genuine, real season. We've had a proper season. We're like ER or something. Yeah, exactly. We are like ER. I often, when I think of this show, I think, when am I doing the ER show? It's like, <laughs> oh, it's tonight. Yeah, exactly. I like that. So, to all of our listeners as well, thank you very much for, uh, for listening. Yep. Keep your eye on the sky and uh, look for the broom signal and then we'll be back. Absolutely. See you soon. Bye-bye.